Property Matters on Dublin South FM. You can contact the show on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn at iProperty Radio or indeed email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is myself, Carol Tallon, and I'm delighted to be joined by Connor O'Connell, Construction Industry Federation Director for the Southern Region. Connor, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Carol, and thanks for the opportunity. No, I'm delighted that we've been certainly trying to touch base with the CIF as often as possible over the last, well, over the last 12 months, but particularly over the last two to three months, um, because obviously Ireland holds the very dubious uh, pandemic title of being the construction industry right across the planet that has been shut down now for for um, the longest consecutive time. Um, so as we're recording this, is there any update on likely reopening dates? No, unfortunately, none. Unfortunately, in all our inter- interactions with senior government ministers, with senior officialdom, the same response comes back time and time again. Um, the announcement we're expecting will be made on Monday, March the 29th. Uh, we are hopeful and very expectant that we'll be allowed to resume operations on April the 6th, which is the Tuesday after the Easter weekend. We see no reason why we can't resume. No reason has been given to us as to why we can't resume. So look, at this particular moment in time, we would be very, very uh, hopeful and confident of reopening on Tuesday, April the 6th. But we just don't know at the moment. The metrics keep changing. Um, You know, we were told uh, if numbers went below 1,000, we could reopen. Then we're told a different figure. So it's it's very, very disruptive at the moment. Um, There's no clear reopening plan or no clear reopening sight lines have been given to us. So obviously, we continue to make the case that we are the only construction sector that we know of in the world that is shut down to the extent we are shut down. Um, look, if you look across different metrics, the number of cases that have um, occurred in the construction sector are associated with the construction sector are very low and trending downwards. So we find it very, very difficult to understand and a very, very frustrating period at the moment, Carol. Yeah, look, Connor, that's absolutely something that I'm picking up myself from people across across the industry. And um, it seems very bizarre that schools are reopening at the pace at which they are reopening. Um, you know, with another tranche of students going back today and construction not only is still closed, but actually doesn't have a confirmed reopening date. Um, so it's just it feels it feels a little bizarre, particularly when you take into consideration the fact that our teachers haven't been vaccinated. So therefore, you're talking about teachers teachers trying to implement the kind of controls across younger people. And we have the construction industry federation with, or sorry, the construction industry with a very strong history um, in safety, but more importantly, there's been huge investment and training and upskilling uh, in adopting the HSE safety protocols on site and, and they're not reopening. So, I mean, this goes beyond frustration um, to the point where uh, does it, does it even make sense at this point? We can see absolutely no logic and we've made that quite clear and we continue to say there's absolutely no logic to keeping the Irish construction sector locked down in the manner it's locked down. Fine, we have maybe 30 to 40,000 people working or engaged on essential construction projects. But if you look and you reference there the secondary schools and the primary schools that are returning, you're talking about mobility of 350,000 people. 
interacting in closed environments. You're talking about the construction sector if it was to reopen fully, and you're talking about maybe another forty to fifty thousand maximum uh, going to and from construction sites on a daily basis. As you said, you know we've online inductions, we've standard operating procedures that we've been told are world class and have been adopted in other countries. Um, there's to us at this stage, there's no rhyme or logic at all to it, Karen. Yeah. Um, well, look, let's let's try to get into specifics as much as we can. You know, um, based on tw- 2020 figures, I think actually surprised people in terms of the level of productivity and output considering the year that we had. Um, and there was a there was certainly in <coughs> excuse me, in the final quarter of December, there was a sense that um, the, the industry had fared better than could possibly have been expected or anticipated, but there was a sense of optimism about 2021. Now we're, you know, approaching the end of March. So the end of the the first quarter of 2021, how is that changing the expected outputs and the forecasts for the sector in 2021? It's a completely different dynamic this time around. You're talking about effectively five months at least uh, lockdown over a 12-month period. You know, we were all surprised at the housing output figures and the other productivity figures that emerged from the end of 2020. Um, but this time around, is completely different. Um, we're going to have consequences of this lockdown that we didn't see in the last period, um, you know, for many different reasons. Um, the length of it, for one, Carol, um, you know we're at a prime time of the year in terms of productivity and construction sites for the civil engineering aspects of housing construction, etc. So the delay now is going to be um, far more extensive than it was last year. And again, as I repeat, because you're talking about five, month, five months out of a 12-month period this time around, the consequences are going to be quite dramatic on our housing output the uh, EY report that has been published over the weekend shows that we're only expecting housing completions, for instance, to reach 16,000 um, this year, 2021. Whereas previously, pre-COVID, the expectation was 28,000. You know, after the first lockdown, and we were looking at the figures for 2021, we were expecting something. You know, if we weren't locked down again, that housing output would reach 21,000. So that just gives you a, a small insight into the effect this time around. Um, so it's 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 extremely disruptive, Carl, and it's going to have a significant impact. We know, for instance, anecdotally, that many of the clients uh, for our house builders at the moment, you know, the time approvals for the uh, their mortgage approvals are running out. Um, it's, you know, international investment finance, international investment into the sector. We're extremely concerned about that, Carl. You know, you've touched on what is part of quite an extensive chain there. So let's maybe come back to your members in terms of the projects that they had planned. Um, do, you, do we do we know yet? Because I think last year uh, for 2020, things were a little bit distorted because we were still looking at maybe plan permissions that have been granted. So we were still speaking in a lot of theoretical figures, um, whereas by 2021, there's a little bit more clarity. Um, so even though we know that there's been a, a record number of, for example, student um, apartments granted planning, um, we know that commencement notices 
are well down. You know, do we know how this is going to pan out, say, for projects that were in the work? So contractors coming in after Christmas that restarted uh, either, you know, at the end of December or early January, only to be shut down by the by the 8th of January. Do we know projects? Um, will they are they likely to remain? Um, are they likely to remain as live projects? Are they likely to still be viable? You know, is this something that your members are dealing with right now? Well, look, that's a very broad question, Carl. We do uh, look, um, contractors are in contractual positions, builders are in contractual obligations at the moment. So it's very difficult to see any situation where a current project will not complete out. Um, But we do know, and I know in my home city of Cork, for instance, we do know projects that were coming out of the ground pre-COVID last year that are now have been stalled. And it's unlikely that they'll recommence until the latter part of this year, if they will recommence. Um, so look, it's a very, very diverse picture, Carl, but, um, generally speaking, you know, we don't expect, um, you know, many projects to stall or cease in the manner in which you're talking about, you know, if they're out of the ground and they're being worked on, uh, in many, many instances, we know that even during the pandemic, for instance, in the office sector, there's still a demand for offices, uh, again, referencing my own home city, you know, we know that Apple has recently taken out. Um, office space and a new large development here. So look, um, we need to come out of it though sooner rather than later for our international reputation, Carl. We cannot have that damage any further. Yeah, and that makes absolute sense. Uh, One of the things I'm aware of is that, you know, for for the last number of years, we've been talking about affordability issues and that's been so intrinsically linked to uh, not just building costs, but the overall viability of development projects. Um, and so we were in bad shape in this regard before COVID struck. Do we know? Do we know where we where we stand now in terms of the viability of housing, not just in the main urban centres, but in in areas where it's needed? Look, look um, again, look, the southern region is the area where we now operate, Carl, and there's huge housing demand there. I mean, there's, there is very, very significant growth in our main urban centres, as you say, but also, I mean, I know, for instance, that in towns like Dingle, Ennis, Killarney, there's absolutely huge housing demand that cannot be met at the moment. Now, a lot of those may be seasonal workers, but there's an awful lot of people returning um, especially along, you know, West Cork, South Kerry, people returning home, people using the remote working opportunities. And that housing demand can't be met because of the viability issues. Even in our urban areas, even in the likes of Dublin and Cork, uh, you know, there's only a select few places, for instance, Carol, where apartments are viable, you know. Um, if we look at the postcodes where apartments are being built, they're being built in very few areas, uh, mainly around uh, Dublin city centre and South County Dublin. We need to ensure that apartments are viable right throughout Ireland, especially if we're serious about the national planning framework and the 50%, you know, urban or infill or brownfield um, target that's going to have to be met. We need to have sustainable development initiatives introduced. Um, You cannot have a situation where the planning policy is so divergent from economic reality. In other words, we have density guidelines now at the moment that are requiring 35 to the hectare and more or in excess of that, depending on location. So we need uh, planning policy and economic reality to merge at some stage in this country that if we want people to live in, you know, urban environments, inner city areas, if we want to retrofit 
our inner cities, which we're going to need to do post-COVID, then we're going to have to introduce incentives. The fourth law of economics is people respond to incentives. It's, it's a basic tenant of, economic, of the economics of a free market, open market economy, which we are. We're one of the most open market economies in the world. And we have to recognize that if we cannot punish, or we cannot, sorry, punish is the wrong word, we cannot disincentivize apartment development by making it so difficult and so expensive to produce, you know? And that's going to be a clear, uh, one of the clear initiatives that are going to be required when we come out of this post-COVID uh, pandemic, because as we know, retail is under pressure. The existing uses of our urban environment are going to change dramatically over the next 10 to 20 years. So how do we make that sustainable development pattern more viable? I think that's a key, key question that we're going to have to look at. You look at the, there's been report after report after report done on apartment costs, yet there is still so much misinformation out there. It's shocking. And it's shocking that people in, in you know, clear positions of authority, um, or some of our politicians, for instance, continuously misquote you know, the figures in relation to apartment delivery or housing delivery in this country. They're misguided, misinformed, um, and that's putting it mildly, Carl. And that's a very, very serious issue that we're going to have to tackle uh, once we come out of this COVID pandemic because the demand is there. People want to live in certain locations. Let's facilitate that. Yeah. Connor, you've touched on a couple of really important things there, not least of all uh, the misinformation that's going out on what I'm seeing online in terms of industry conversations that are happening. There seems to be such a clear uh, public ver- public sector and academic sector versus private sector uh, conversation. And they've become very polarised, which mm-hmm. is never helpful. And one of the really worrying things we're seeing, particularly around the Building Heights debate, is that it's getting very overtly personal as well. And yeah. that's not helpful at all. So actually, you know, I, I think that you touched on another big disconnect there. And I'd like to maybe bring it back to the Cork, uh, to Cork City, mm-hmm. actually, for a moment, just in terms of the National mm-hmm. Development Plan. Um, you know, last Last week, there was news circulating um, about uh, IBEC shared, the the business lobby organisation shared a submission they made um, in terms of the the midterm review of the National Development Plan. And it really did, uh, it it definitely, um, there was a light shone on maybe the lack of of um, capital investment in Cork, uh, the lack of investment in infrastructure. I think the terminology used was decades of chronic underinvestment. And given Cork's importance from an FDI point of view, and that that's not new, going back decades, um, I, that seems like a, a very major disconnect. So I, you know, I've referenced the IBEX submission, but I know the Construction Industry Federation has also made a submission. So what, um, in terms of the submission that that was made, you know, what are some of the key calling points out for that? Well, I think it's very welcome that IBEX came out with that statement. You know, of a chronic underinvestment. It's a, a very, very <laughs> dramatic statement to make, Carol. But it's absolutely true. If you Look, and Cork is symptomatic of what's happening right around Ireland. Dublin's no different either. Look, um, we've been very lucky in Cork in that we've had high population growth. If you look at look at it relative to our size, you know, obviously it's a city and county with a population just over half a million, you know, which is small in international terms. But 
look, if you look at it from 1996 to 2016, the population of Cork City and County grew by 125,000 people. Uh, that was in a 20-year period. You know, the, that rate of population growth was pretty extraordinary given, you know, the many different, you know, recessions and ups and downs that we faced. Um, and that population growth has even accelerated in recent times again as the economy has recovered from recession. But I struggle to name the number of transport infrastructural projects that have taken place over that 20-year period. Uh, in 1999, we had the Dunkettle uh, Tunnel open, or sorry, the Dunkettle Tunnel, the, you know, the Jack Lynch Tunnel open. Yeah. And after that, I, I struggle to think of any other major infrastructural project. The reopening of uh, the Cork to Middleton rail line was another one. Uh, the commuter rail line, but that's that's been it. Um, so what we're facing now and what we've faced over the last number of years is the effects of that chronic underinvestment in infrastructure. You know the traffic, the, the congestion, the um, you know the fact that zoned lands can't be developed because there isn't the water and wastewater for services haven't been provided over that period of time. So we've been very very attractive as a location, um, to use Cork as an example. Um, and we've had that, and that FDI growth is continuing, and it's even accelerating in recent times, and more of it is to come, but we need the public sector investment to keep up with the population growth and the employment growth, and I think that's right around Ireland, but I think it's it's especially so in Cork, and it's especially so in Dublin, maybe than other centres, but we do need that infrastructural growth to keep pace with where people want to live and where people want to work. Connor, how have the last 12 months impacted your members, um, particularly in the southern region, I suppose on an individual level? Because I, I look, we're always talking about companies and contractors, but but um, I suppose on a human level, you know, how is this impacting them? How are people managing? Are they working outside the region? Are they retaining their key staff? Are they in a position to retain their supply chain? Like how how are they faring out? It's been an extremely difficult time, Carl. And look, you ask about the personal element of some of our members. Look, in the last week, we've been taking calls in relation to the difficulties that some of our members are having with their leasing arrangements for planted machinery, um, the difficulties that they're having in their interactions with the whoever they may be, the banks or the leasing houses. And it's causing severe difficulties. Uh, Member companies, if they're not working under you know, certain forms of government forms of contract, there's no um, mechanism at all where they can recover any element of costs. You know, the element of costs for the shutdown, there's small element that can be covered under the under the various offers of government procurement notes, but it's it's badly affecting them. They can't avail of the CRIS scheme. Um, so it's been pretty severe, uh, Carol, for an awful lot of our smaller and medium and larger companies. Have they any reason to feel hopeful about the rest of 2021 at this stage? Absolutely, but we need to get working. We need to get back working on April the 6th or we will be very concerned about the impact on businesses' uh, viability. Um, look, we're, we're looking forward. There, it must be said, Carl, that in terms of the pipeline of work, it looks very positive. I mean, it is extremely positive, as I said earlier on, that we still have major world-class FDI clients taking up office space, for instance. You know, there's been a very good announcement there today in relation to Stripe and 1,000 workers in Dublin. Um, they're going to need to live and work somewhere. They're going to need to go into the office, come back and go into their apartment, their house in the evening. So we're going to need 
there's obviously a huge need for our services. Um, so we just need to get back to work though, Karen. Yeah, Connor, that's that's about as clearly and as plainly as we can say it today, um, you know, and hopefully on March 29th, there will be a positive announcement that the, the industry will reopen on the 6th of April. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. That Delighted was Connor O'Connell, Construction Industry Federation Director for the Southern Region. We need to take a quick break. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or indeed email the show at hello at iPropertyRadio.com Now following on from our conversation there with Connor um, on behalf of the Construction Industry Federation I want to take the opportunity to read out an open letter um, that was sent by the Construction Industry Council to Antishak Michal Martin um, and that was the 12th of March 2021 and it is in relation to the reopening of the construction sector and preparation for working during COVID-19. Normally I wouldn't uh, use this particular platform to read out an open letter to government from an industry group. However, I think there are some really important points um, that, that need to be addressed here and and I, I think that the industry would be interested to know and obviously we want to give this type of lobbying effort backing because it's just so important for all members of the planning, construction and property industries right now. So again, this letter was written uh, by uh, Michal Mahan, Chair of the Construction Industry Council and it is addressed to Antishak Michal Martin. So it goes, Dear Tishok, in our letter of the 15th January 2021, we acknowledged the difficult decisions that the government took to respond to the third phase of COVID-19. As the industry has proven itself capable of conducting its operations safely, we must now, or we, we ask now that serious consideration be given to announcing the reopening of the whole industry in early April. The safe reopening of construction sites is necessary to minimise the long-term impact on the industry and facilitate the National Development Plan's successful delivery. According to the Oxford Coronavirus Government Response Tracker, Ireland has faced the longest period of workplace lockdown in Europe. Additionally, the European Construction Industry Federation confirmed that Ireland is the only country in Europe where construction is not open. As the umbrella for all CIC members, that's the Construction Industry Council, we take our responsibilities and safety responsibilities very seriously. The industry has demonstrated its ability to maintain extremely low infection rates, as seen in the National Standing Oversight Committee on cases and outbreaks of COVID-19 in high risk settings. Um, the construction or sorry, the COVID-19 standard operating procedures were reviewed and revised by the CIF, that's the Construction Industry Federation recently, and each of the individual professional bodies, that's the ACEI, the IEI, RIAI and the SCSI have reviewed their supporting protocols. So the CIC and all of its constituent members ask that the government announce the earliest possible date for the safe remobilisation of the built environment sector, so that's property and construction, in the coming weeks. While we fully appreciate the need for a cautious easing of restrictions, we seek that the outlier position of the construction and property sectors operating under Level 5 plus restrictions is corrected to allow for their reopening, as was the case during the Level 5 restrictions of October and November. 
we look forward to working with the government to promote the industry's prompt and safe remobilisation. And again, that's signed off by Michal Mahan, chair of the Construction Industry Council. These are important points for the industry to support and get behind and to speak with one voice to the government as we look for the forward to the reopening of the construction industry. We need to take another quick break. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM. Welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. I'm now joined by Charlotte Dove McCarthy, Business Development Manager at View City. Charlotte, you're very welcome. Oh, thank you, Carol, for having me. I love uh, your work and I love your show. <laughs> you're so good. Thank you. Uh, Charlotte, um, View City, most people will be familiar. If, the in the in- if they're in the industry, they will have been following some of the developments and View City are definitely leading the charge. But you might just explain to people who aren't familiar with the company what you do. Absolutely. So uh, View City was started about four years ago, and we have created digital twins for cities right across uh, the UK, Ireland, and a couple of capital cities across the world. And we're using these 3D city models for design, planning, and development. So you can really get a sense of what your scheme, how your scheme is going to be impacted and how you're going to impact others uh, by using 3D models to drop your designs into to review. Um, So that's pretty much what we do in a nutshell. But we started off as a platform to review schemes in 3D, but actually realizing that there's so much more value in being able to layer on data and view that in 3D. So treating View City as like a visualization tool for data um, is, is where there's a lot of value as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we're hearing so much talk now about digital twins that we're just just about coming to understand uh, the value of these. Uh, But all of this, you know, sometimes I think it gets lost in the conversation, particularly when we focus on the technology, that it's all about data. And I always think it's helpful to break down data. So talk to us about the data that we're looking at when we're looking at a a view city model. Absolutely. So um, the the data layers that we can layer on over the city are like environmental data, planning data, things that you can use to really assess um, what that uh, development is, how that development is going to work in the landscape. So looking at things like flood risk, uh, looking at data on listed buildings, uh, looking at things like height restrictions in cities. So if you're designing a really tall building and you want to drop that into the model, layer on that protected views layer. Um, And then you'll instantly be able to see whether that's going to be feasible or not, or whether that plan is going to be rejected. So um, yeah, the data is pretty much how we allow people to assess their designs. Okay, this is going to be perhaps an unfair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, I'm always interested for providers who are looking across different geographic markets. I'm always interested to see how Dublin fares. And sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised and sometimes less so. Um, In terms of digital adoption, where are you seeing, you know, Ireland's built environment in terms of tech adoption? Where do you think we're we're sitting in relation to the marketplaces you're dealing with? 
Well, I'm really glad that you've asked that because Ireland is an area that I'm looking after. I'm looking after Dublin and Belfast, and I'm heavily researching both areas and um, from an architecture point of view, from development and uh, plan tech and prop tech and all the sort of digital tools. Um, I I think that Ireland is uh, very far ahead in terms of innovation, and um, I'm delighted to see the sort of uptake and people really understanding View City instantly when they see it. They get it. They're like, okay. you don't really have to explain it too much and that's a good sign I think. Okay and um, that that's really positive to hear because sometimes when I ask that question you know almost the opposite is true and look I, I think it's really important for us to be quite objective as to where we are in terms of tech adoption and you know what we need to focus on and how the structures whether it's through government policy or funding or actually industry adoption you know or maybe on the academic side where that needs where the gaps need to be filled um you know and you know we started talking about uh, data. So um, I suppose around the time of GDPR legislation being introduced, um, people started to focus heavily on data. And in a lot of ways, it was seen as almost a liability to have, whereas previously it was just an underused, uh, almost offcut. Um, it was something that that was squandered it wasn't it wasn't um leveraged at all and then when gdpr legislation came in suddenly it was actually it became quite an onerous thing to hold and i think over the past two years we're just seeing the move to understanding that it's a valuable asset and i think in digital twins it's much easier to see the the data as an asset because you're actually handing over not just one asset to a client, but you're also handing over a digital asset. So you're actually handing over two assets for th- that will serve for the lifetime of the building. Um, do, is there an understanding about that when you're speaking to potential clients? Yes, I guess so. I mean, it's not something that we really go into too much, um, but I would say that from a sort of uh, uh like data protection side of things is uh, our users use View City and their data is completely sort of private to them. So if they're working on designs and master plans, they can use uh, the platform privately. So you can access with your own login and everything's completely protected. And a lot of the local authorities are using us for um, sort of shaping policy and reviewing planning applications in 3D. So in the UK, we've gotten over, um, well, actually 28 of the 33 London boroughs are using View City on a daily basis to review schemes. And our goal is um, to get the local authorities in Dublin um, to hopefully start using View City so that they can do the same, save a lot of time by scrutinizing plans and really, really assessing things on an evidence-based platform. Um, But in terms of data, I'm really not sure I understand that very well. (laughs) No, but well, no, look, it's all part of the conversation, but actually around around reviewing plans, you know, uh, one of the things that I've been very vocal about over the last few years in this industry is that it's very difficult to expect members of the public to um, to understand plans. You know, I, I've been in this industry a decade and a half and I genuinely struggle to read uh, 2D plans. Yeah. You know, it, it's not something, it, it's not a natural skill set I have. So actually, you know, any type of 3D modeling brings a proposed development to life much the same way as immersive technologies. And, you know, you you reference there an empirical or or a kind of a a more uh, data driven approach to planning. 
Um, I, I think that's really interesting. It's definitely where we need to go. Um, I don't know of any, I, I don't know of any country or jurisdiction that's doing that very well. Um, are you seeing any global leaders emerge in this space from a, I suppose, a governmental point of view? Um, not really. I think what we're what we've created is very revolutionary. I don't think that anybody is offering what we're offering, uh, which is good for us <laughs> um, and also for our users. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't say that I I could really compare ourselves to any other platform like this. But in terms of um, the the data and I think what's really good is that if the councils and the local governments can put their data onto this platform and allow the architects and developers to quickly understand what the constraints are in locations, then it makes for faster, quicker designing um, and developing. Um, and it, it just creates sort of transparency across the board with all of the various stakeholders. Yeah, that, that absolutely makes sense. Um, so in terms of Dublin, where are you, where is View City um, on, on the mapping journey for Dublin? How much is mapped at the moment? Uh, so we've got 121 square kilometres covered. Um, everything is accurate to within 15 centimetres. So it's the most detailed model of Dublin that uh, to date. Uh, so the largest, most detailed model of London to date. Um, and we've incorporated uh, Dublin's largest ever tree study. So uh, when you're dropping your models into review or you're creating a quick massing to review, you can turn those trees off or keep them on or even just turn the leaves off if you want a winter view, a realistic winter view. Um, and all of those trees are accurate to uh, 15 centimeters. So there's over, um, gosh, uh, 580,000 trees. And the buildings in the model are actually all modeled up by hand. So we can guarantee the accuracy required for planning and design. Um, so, yeah, I'm really bad at remembering what the questions were. Sorry, Carol. No, actually, I didn't realise that you were as extensive as mapping all of the trees, because actually that's a really controversial one at the moment, because there's a, a proposed bus connects plan where we want to where the city needs to um, build out public transport infrastructure and try decrease uh, individual car dependency um, going in and around the city. Uh, and one of the one of the plans to do that is this new bus connects. However, um, because Dublin is laid out the way it is, to do this will involve taking a little bit of the front garden of some houses, um, which is controversial in itself, but it also means removing a number of trees. And there's been a huge backlash against it. And, you know, Obviously, there's a strong argument for, for you know, for keeping the trees, but um, we're, we're in a situation where we need to provide better public transport. And what was really interesting is that there was um, almost a citizen led study to try collate all of these trees and, right. and map them. So I think it's really interesting. I don't know if you city was available then. It's only in the last kind of 12, 15 months, but um, I don't know if View City had that capacity at that time. If so, I think it would have saved a lot of citizens, a lot of time. Yeah. So, um, and also on the on the flip side, um, it's really useful for re-greening areas. So you can really quickly identify, you know, which areas need a little bit more greenery and a little bit more green attention. Um, like Paris, I read that is doing, um, they're greening the entire entirety of the Champs-Élysées so, um, yeah, it's pretty cool what they're doing in terms of re <laughs> regrowing trees around cities. A lot of that is happening in London here as well. 
Yeah. And it, look, it's an important one. I actually saw the plans are, are kind of the, the, uh, the, the um, visual images for the proposed John Silesia. And that looks amazing. You know, oh, that's somewhere it. where, you know, I'd love it for anybody who's been there, particularly in wintertime where you have the Christmas markets and everything. Actually, the only thing that's wrong with that whole setting is the fact that it's that, um, you know, there are more tree or sorry, there are more cars there than they should be. So actually, when I saw the plans, I thought it looked amazing, you know, but again, um, I, I think Paris has really stepped up in terms of some of its placemaking and was one of the first um, to showcase this 15 minute city, you know, which most other contemporary cities are now aspiring to in their new developments. Um, and actually, under the 15 minute cities, I'd imagine a tool like View City would be very important there for people to contextually understand what's within their 15 minutes. You're so on it, Carol. That's actually something that we're working on in the wings. Uh, we're looking to work with um, work on creating a citizens platform, and that's uh, sort of happening in the background. But we're doing a lot of uh, R and D and research on that at the moment. Um, yeah, so watch the space. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think a citizen platform would be a great idea because um, planning is a public function, and yet people feel quite uh, separated from it. And, um, you know, certainly there, there are, so it can definitely give the appearance that people only get engaged in the planning process when they're unhappy with something. Um, and a lot of times people will give out for a long time before they'll actually get involved enough to do something even where they're unhappy. And it would be so much better from a placemaker point of view if we were able to harness all the ideas of people who were living in that space, you know, because they know the blind spots they you know they know the potential problem areas but they also know um the you know they they know the local treasures all times of the year you know so there's so much local knowledge there that would really benefit developers and placemakers and even local authorities definitely were able to harness it yeah even myself I feel I find myself like sometimes thinking oh I wish we had like a Mexican place really locally and if you could actually upload that amazing (laughs) yeah (laughs) no but this is this is how placemaking works i mean um i i I know view city is positioned as a place shaping tool but language like placemaking and and place shaping um you know it's starting to be very commonly used in the industry but i'm not sure that people um that all citizens understand what it means and i also don't know if they are aware how much power they have if they use it to shape yeah. places. Um, I think, have sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think that placemaking. I that's sort of what my where my background comes from from my from my last job. Um, and I'm really passionate about placemaking. And this post COVID recovery, I would say, if I could recommend anything to working in local anything to people working in local government, would be activate your high streets outdoors. Like get people outside, get people wanting to to get onto that high street for another reason other than retail. And then the retail will grow organically, like outdoor music and street food and markets and fresh produce, all that stuff. We can activate those areas outside. The people will come. Do you think in Ireland and the UK, we've allowed for decades the weather to dictate this so we we have the assumption that irish people love to and same as as um people across the uk we love when we're traveling in warmer climates to sit outside and dine outside all times of the day and night but we don't make those provisions here because there's almost an assumption that the weather would not be good enough to justify it 12 months of the year i understand what you're saying yeah in london it's a bit similar <laughs> bad weather 
But I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's it, it's probably tricky to plan, but maybe reinforce those, you know, covered awnings and make sure that, you know, put a little investment into making sure that people are warm and dry. <laughs> yeah. But do you think, do you see through View City, can you see um, people making plans like that? You know, because we're seeing it in Dublin. So I've no doubt that it's happening in other, not just cities, but even uh, larger towns and market towns. You know, people have... You know, it's amazing when we have a problem to solve, we'll we'll solve it. And for coffee shops and restaurants and bars, they got really good at providing outdoor space, all weather outdoor space, you know, with some form of heating. So actually, do you think that that's something that might actually outlive COVID-19? Like, will this will this be something that maybe will be adopted as a more long term approach, even even in Irish and UK climates? Yeah, I do think so. I definitely think so. Um, I think people being stuck indoors for a year have started to really want to get outside all the time. Like I, everybody's become a walker or I've even become a cycler for the first time in my life. And I love it. Like, why haven't I done this before? Why did I always take the bus when I could get there in five minutes? Like, and so, yeah, I definitely think that um, cities are going to become very different after this and people are going to want to be outdoors and not crammed inside busy places. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know, and actually I think a lot of this feeds back into the 15 minute city, you know, it's amazing. Uh, The 15 minute city sounds like something that was born out of a solution to the pandemic. And of course it wasn't. Um, All of these plans were well in train years before that, but it's such an ideal solution for where we find ourselves in now. You know, people wanting to really understand their locality, having everything they need within the locality and being able to walk through without having to take the car out. So, you know, it's interesting in a way that we find ourselves now um, implementing solutions that are just right for the pandemic. And yet these are ones that actually live up to the very best practices of urban planning and placemaking and, and contemporary urban living. Yeah. I think yeah, um, I think w- one thing that I, we've definitely seen, which is um, pretty surprising, is that we haven't seen any slowdown in development or like from our users and our um, uh, the people using the platform and the uptake of the platform and people signing up to use it. Um, it seems like people are designing more now than ever. <laughs> and it's they aren't being put on hold. Everybody's, yeah, they're working from home, but everybody's still completely able to do their jobs as architects, um, as planners, as consultants, as developers. Like we've seen that there hasn't been at all a slowdown um, in the industry during COVID. If anything, it's been sped up. That's really interesting, particularly on the design side. Um, yeah. do you do you have the data kind of separate for Ireland? I mean, can you can you share with us who or what classes of professionals are using View City in Ireland? Um, absolutely. So we've got like world-renowned architecture practices. Um, we've got well, actually, I'm looking after Dublin and Belfast, and across those two cities, we work with um, Arab. Translink, and um, oh god, there's so many. <laughs> I hope I don't miss any out. Um, but ready architecture and urbanism. Uh, gosh, um, digital dimensions. There's there's so many different types of people using us. So developers, architects, um, planners, consultants, visualization studios, and hopefully local authorities soon. <laughs> so, okay, right. but actually, in, in terms of uh, the local authorities. Um, you know, there there is such a huge drive towards um, 
taking steps to digitize the planning process. And I know that other jurisdictions are in very similar positions. I don't think Ireland is particularly behind the curve on that at all. I think all local governments are struggling to keep up with new tools that are available for planning, um, you know, and they're all taking steps to implement it. And I, while there's frustration about the rate of adoption in Ireland, um, we are seeing some really positive steps in this direction. How some a tool like View City makes it easier. It's so, so easy. It's so easy. Yeah. It's so easy because you the, you open up the model, you drag in another model from another platform from your your developer, your architect, drop it in, click this pin button, brings you right there, open it up, um, zoom pan in, go around it, throw some data on it, and you can instantly assess it. It's not at all complicated because we sit on gaming technology, so it's fun. It's it's sort of like um, you can get yourself right down into the model, walk around your schemes, uh, look up, look down, turn on like weather tools, and it's so immersive and interactive that actually it doesn't feel like work. Like when I'm, when I'm demonstrating it, I really don't find it like work. It's fun. <laughs> Well, that's yeah. a, that's always a, that's always a good thing, and yeah. but it's interesting that uh, View City was kind of designed uh, to review plans, and that that use has really changed, but driven by the industry. Yeah, so, and other it, industries. Okay, and, and other so, industries. We're we're seeing um, so much interest in other companies, like shipping companies, insurance. Um, uh, renewable energy. There's solar companies looking to see if they can use View City to uh, layer on data to see what's possible in in renewable energy. And so it's not limited to uh, real estate. However, if people want to work on bespoke projects with us from external um, industries, then we can introduce you to the, our sort of projects teams who can help you with those bespoke solutions. So that's good to know about. <laughs> Oh, very good. And before we finish up today, Charlotte, just um, because I, I'm aware that this is a reasonably new role for you and, and for View City coming into Ireland and Belfast. Yeah. So like paint a picture for us. What can architects and planners and indeed placemakers expect from View City over the next year or two? Um, I would say that we've got a nice, um, nice city coverage of each city, so Dublin and Belfast. Um, we've got a great amount of data across both of those cities. And I would say that what you can look forward to is uh, us continually improving the product, the platform, loads of more new tools and features coming. Um, and I would say that if you are designing or developing any um, any sort of major schemes across across either of those cities, you're definitely going to want to review them in View City. It will save you a lot of time and money. <laughs> Very good. And you might just share uh, the the website address there. Absolutely. So it's View City, which is v u dot c i t y view dot city. Super. Super. Thanks a million. Um, that that's great. That was Charlotte Duff McCarthy, business development development manager at uh, View City. Again, that's v u dot city. So that's it from us this week. Thank you for getting in touch with Property Matters on Dublin South FM. As always, you can keep in touch with us at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Also, my thanks to Peter Rice on sound this week. We're back at the same time next week from myself, Carol Tallon and all the team here. Stay safe.